pray together for a moment. Lord, thank you this morning as we as we come to the scriptures, as we allow ourselves to become uh, quiet in these next moments. I pray you would come, Holy Spirit, and open those scriptures to us. Come and take my words, Lord, and fill them. Lord, come take our hearts and our minds and shape them as we look to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, today um, we begin the church season of Epiphany. If that is, uh, I don't know, an unfamiliar term or, you know, Greek to you for all you know. Um, (laughs) Epiphany is a season in our church calendar that is between Christmas and Lent, which roughly translates to January and part of February or a portion of February. And it's a season in which the church focuses on God's gift of Jesus, the light of the world, not as an add-on to our pre-existing lives, but as the answer to all of life's issues and his church's mission to take his light, his message, his gospel, his good news, that forgiveness and life are available, and we're to do that all over the world, where we live and where ever anybody anybody lives, just all over the place. Uh, Tim Keller, Pastor Tim Keller has said, um, we are a broken people, but we are a profoundly loved people. An epiphany is sort of a declaration of that very message, that we're broken, but we're profoundly loved by the God who is and who has sent his son, Jesus, for us. And in him, there's a new kind of beginning offered, a new life that is available in Christ. And so we'll be doing a preaching series called The Call of God. That's what we'll be looking at in the weeks ahead. It's really important to know as we begin that God is a God who calls people. Now, just let that sink in for a minute. God calls. God calls, not just in the abstract, God calls you. God calls me. God calls us. God is a calling God because he's an alive God. He's a purposeful God. When the famous 19th century evangelist D.L. Moody was just starting his ministry, he heard a preacher make this statement. The world has yet to see what God can do with one person fully surrendered to him. And that night, as Moody was alone in his room, he wrote in his journal, by God's grace, I'll be that person. In other words, I will yield my life to whatever God has for me, to his call upon me to go and do and be whatever he wants. And his life had a tremendous impact in his day. And that impact continues even to this day down through the years. Now, God's call isn't just for evangelists like Moody's or for pastors or for missionaries. God's call is for everyone. God is a calling God. And his call has two parts to it. It always has two parts. However it may look in, in, as it plays out in life, there is, a call, there is a call to you from God. Everybody say, to me. There is a call to me from God. And there is God's call of you for others. So say for others. Now, I'm somebody who sometimes has a hard time remembering things. So 
I can give you an easy sort of device, if you will, for remembering how God's call works. Everybody throw up a peace sign, right? Actually, you're throwing up two fingers. To me, say to me. Now throw up four for others. To me for others. To me for others, right? God's call is to me for others. That's the way it works. It's not to me for me. It's not to me even for heaven. It's to me for others. That's the way call plays out. And both of these calls are always about grace. They're not something we've earned. We've not achieved it. We don't deserve it. We haven't, like, you know, scored higher than everybody else, and therefore he calls us. It doesn't work that way. Remember, you're broken, but you're loved. And that's the heart of God's call. So as we go through this season of Epiphany, we're going to explore the call of God, and we begin today with the foundation of God's call, which is to us through his son Jesus. And that gospel lesson in Mark 1 that Skip read for us was a very familiar scene for many of us, the scene of Jesus' baptism, right? In the midst of this huge response that's happening out in the desert at the Jordan River as people are hearing John the Baptist speak that what they need is not more religion, what they need is a radical break with sin, a whole new way of going about life that would affect the way they live, but it began as a result of preparing their hearts and turning their hearts and getting ready for the Messiah, who John said would come to baptize you, fill you, suffuse your life with the presence of God's Holy Spirit. So it's in the midst of all of that that Jesus appears on the scene. He's baptized also. Not because he needed to be baptized, he was not sinful, but because he came to identify with sinful people, people like you, people like me, like the people of the world, broken but loved, needing God's grace, and needing not a different life, but a new life. Uh, My son's car broke down not too long ago, the engine blew, and it wouldn't have mattered how much we polished the exterior with wax or we vacuumed out the interior or scrubbed up the tires. He needed a new engine. Something entirely new had to be inserted in. And that's what this Jesus has come to do. So let your mind kind of get into the scene so that we can understand a little bit more deeply what's happening and understand why that matters for us this morning. The Holy Spirit comes visibly upon Jesus in the form of a dove. And in verse 11, God the Father speaks audibly saying, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. Right? You see it here in Jesus. God is calling to him for others. And it's audible and it's visible and there's significance to that. What's significant about the fact that the Father speaks and is audibly heard and the spirit comes and is visibly seen is in Bible times you needed at least two or three witnesses to make something true in a court of law, to certify truth. And so as the spirit descends and the father speaks as it's seen and it's heard, heaven is testifying and certifying to the authenticity of Jesus the legality that Jesus is the Son of God. 
And of course, John the Baptist the next day will testify as well. Yes, I saw it. I heard it. He's the one who's come to take away the sin of the world. And so earth itself and heaven itself witness to who Jesus is, that he is called to be the Savior, and it's legal in heaven's court. God says he is completely legitimate. So let's think about the specifics of those things, the visible testimony, the fact that the Holy Spirit comes in the form of a dove. That's not coincidental. Doves were used for sacrifice and in purification rites, for sin and cleansing. So God is calling his son to be an atonement, a cleansing, a purification for our sins, a sacrificial son. Your trust in him is what makes you right before God, not your, your religious works. Your trust in him and what he has done is what restores you to God, is what cleanses you from sin, what he has done. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow, nothing but the blood of Jesus. The dove, right at the outset of his ministry, is helping people to understand and see just who he is and what he's come for. You're broken, but you are so loved that God gave his son. And of course, the dove also pointed back to Noah in the ark. Now, some of you are going to have to go all the way back to like your Sunday school days. Like we, we use Noah in the ark like to decorate little nurseries and things like that. I know we did when our first child was born. Like, like Noah in the ark is all about judgment at one level. It's not a pretty story. I mean, the outcome is really good, but the story itself is really intense, right? Noah's in the waters of the world's judgment. It's so bad, God's like, I'm wiping it out. i got to start over. That's the first pointer. It's so bad, I've got to start over. And so in the waters of judgment, Noah sends out the dove. And the dove shows where the land is, where the end of judgment is, where the place of safety is, where the place of peace is, where the new beginning is, where life can start all over. And so there's Jesus in the waters of mankind's judgment, in the waters of your judgment and my judgment. And the dove is showing us where the place of safety is, where the end of judgment is, where salvation lies, where peace lies. It's not a place, it's a person. And it's Jesus himself. He's the new beginning. You are broken, but you are loved. And the audible testimony of what God says about Jesus. You are my beloved son, with you I'm well pleased. It's not just a pep talk like an attaboy before Jesus runs onto the field to do his job, right? That's not it at all. God is declaring the call of Jesus, the identity of Jesus, what Jesus has come for. And what he's doing is he's using another witness, the words of the Old Testament spoken through the prophet Isaiah hundreds of years before. God is witnessing to his scriptures as his word, as they speak about his son and what he has come to do. He's following through on his promise because God is always faithful to follow through on the promises that he makes. He cannot lie. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There is no darkness in him. And so the promises that he made to the people of Israel, we now see him fulfilling in this one in the waters who he calls his son. And as I said, it goes back to Isaiah 42. Listen to a few of those words again. Verse 1, Behold my servant 
whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. In other words, here's my son with whom I'm well pleased. I put my spirit on him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. So Jesus, the son of God, is also the servant of God spoken of by the Old Testament prophets. He's God's choice, the object of God's delight, God's man for the job. He's empowered by the Spirit. He's filled with the Spirit to do the work of God in the earth. And what is it that he's called to do to bring justice to the nations, to the entire world? Now, you might be feeling right now, this week, in light of all that's going on, not only immediately, but over the course of the last year and a half, that things are just completely out of control. I know I have felt that way myself. Like, like our country is a mess, and the world is a mess, and where's God in all this? Where's justice? It seems to be lacking. Where's morality? It seems to be on the wane and missing. I mean, think about just a few of the things. I mean, there are a lot more that I could point to, but I don't want to be all bad news here. But I mean, think about the racial unrest of the last year. As Kevin DeYoung recently said, whether you think the main culprit is the police, politics, or the protesters, there exists a dangerous mix of confusion, discouragement, frustration, and hopelessness. And we've seen that manifest all over the place. That may have manifested it in your own hearts at various times. And then the pandemic. For some, it's like a bad cold that they're over with in a few days. And for others, it's a long-haul health issue. And for still others, it just kills them. You know how I know for sure? I buried somebody last month. Then you add in the tensions between science and politics and individual rights, and there's chaos. And of course, perhaps even more unsettling is the anarchy, the spirit of lawlessness, destruction that's been unleashed on both the left and the right. And this is where we have to be careful. It's real easy to look at whoever is opposite of you. So if you're on the right, to look at the people on the left and go, they're the problem. If you're on the left, to look at the people on the right and go, they're the problem. That's lawlessness. It's not just what people do. It's a kind of party spirit that looks on others with judgment in our hearts. And I'm not saying every action that's gone on is right. Don't hear that. We just have to look at our own hearts along the way. Most recently, of course, this past week, The words and the actions of our president, the mayhem of the mobs at the Capitol. Hear me, I'm not making a political statement here. I'm making a spiritual statement as a spiritual leader. That's the point of even touching on this. Some people have said, stay away from it. No, 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 we have to look at things with spiritual eyes, friends, if we're going to grow as spiritual people. Don't be fooled. It's so easy to make idols out of people, politics, parties, presidents, presidents-elect. You can make an idol out of Trump. You can make an idol out of Biden. And some people will try to do that with the president-elect. We've got to be really careful because that's the tendency of the human heart. The ultimate answer to our needs is Jesus. Not a person 
in government, not even our nation, as wonderful as it is, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. We've got to respond to God's call to us in Jesus. And that isn't just a one-time thing, like when you were baptized as a child or when you were confirmed as a young person or maybe you walked the aisle at a Billy Graham place or you got baptized as an adult. No, no, God's call to us comes at various times and in various ways and particularly it comes to us in the midst of difficult times, challenging seasons. God is a God who calls to us for the sake of others. We've got to be careful that we don't become insulated and isolated and self-focused, whether you're in pain or you're in righteous indignation. We've got to listen for God's call to us and for the sake of others. In the midst of all that we've been seeing, you may feel like God's far away. You may be wondering, how's God going to make it right? I just need to say, friends, this is normal world history. I don't like it. But chaos is normal in world history with periods of peace. What we're seeing is just further proof that we are broken. The world is broken. I am broken. And you are broken. But we are loved powerfully. Powerfully by our God who gave his son. What God says in the midst of the world's difficulty is I've got the person for every job out there. I've got the person for what is most deeply needed. And what is he like? Well, listen to what Isaiah says. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Listen to what Eugene Peterson says as he writes about that verse. Jesus doesn't bully, he befriends. He doesn't shout, he speaks softly. There's no hard sell with those who dismiss him and no harsh argument with those who deny him. He won't brush aside a person who is bruised and hurt nor will he disregard the small and insignificant. There's no element of coercion in his approach, only compassion. So if you want to be a spiritually mature person, part of the process God takes us through is through seasons where nothing makes sense and we have to hone our ability to see what's going on. You want to know what's going on in the world around you? Do you want to know what's going on inside of you? Do you want to know what's going on in the people, what you're seeing and hearing, and those who are in proximity to you, who are in the media, in the politics? In, we, well, I know it's hard to know what's what these days, but we have to discern. The danger is that we look, whether from right or left, at everything going on only through political lenses and not through spiritual eyes, shaped by the scriptures, guided by the Holy Spirit who comes to live with us and in us. Compare what you're seeing to Jesus in yourself, in others, in the world. Does it look like Jesus? Does it sound like Jesus? Does it act like Jesus? Would you know the difference? 
That's an honest question. We've got to, like a self-evaluative question. Would I know the difference? And many people would be like, yep, I do. But then things get murky and hard to understand. Friends, the answer for America, particularly, is not in our politicians. I'm glad we have them, mostly, right? (laughs) You know what I mean by that. No, I I am glad, especially, uh, I'll leave it there. The answer is not in our prosperity, though I'm all for it, right? I'd rather be prosperous than have the whole nation implode. But, But we can easily make prosperity an idol. And I know that I've had to search my own heart many times in the last 30 years. Because it's so easy for me to make prosperity an idol. Maybe for you too. The answer isn't in religion. And a lot of people try that. And that just wears you out. No, the answer is our Savior. He came to save us and to change us. But hear this, because this is what most of the American church struggles with. He came to change us. He came to save us. But he does it through suffering. That's un-American. He does it through suffering. He lays down his rights to obey God's will. He willingly bears disgrace as the penalty of sin falls upon him. And he dies alone and in agonizing silence on the cross. As Isaiah goes on in verses 5 and 6, and I'm just going to paraphrase, the God of the universe, the creator of all, will uphold Jesus, will show that his way is the way that works, that lasts, that is ultimate. And Jesus will be the promise, the covenant made to ensure us that the brokenness is dealt with and new life comes. And that's what the resurrection is all about. It's the initial pointer to us that this world is not all there is. There is more coming. And God is not slow in seeing it through, although it may feel agonizingly slow to us at times. Jesus is light to everyone. That's epiphany. That we might see what God is really like. A suffering God. Triumph comes through his suffering. His foes are dealt with through love. And so if what you're seeing or hearing or doing doesn't align with the spirit of sacrificial love, of laying down life for others who don't deserve it, not just the people you enjoy, Right, your enemies, then it isn't aligned with him. There's a litmus, right? There's a plumb line. Of course, if you're not absolutely clear about the gospel, about the words of Jesus and the ways of Jesus, how he acts, what his heart is like for you, for others, what he calls us to be like, what he calls us to do, then perhaps your next best step in this new year is to read the New Testament, to read the Gospels and and in. And don't just do it alone. Do it with other people. And not just maybe 
people you agree with on everything, like people with different perspectives, because that's how we get challenged and shaped and actually learn to love people. Not everybody who's like us, but people who are sometimes hard to love is how you learn Jesus kind of love. That's probably happening if you're a married person in your marriage, right? God says all is going to be made right, even if it doesn't look like it right now. All is going to be made good. All is going to be made holy. That's justice. That's righteousness. That's at its heart. But of course, we can't do it on our own because we're so broken. We've got to have his spirit in his presence. We've got to be made spiritually new by Jesus. And we've got to continually be being made and renewed by his presence. Because we're not done yet. We're done and we're not done, if that makes sense. Your sin's dealt with. You're still in process of being transformed. And it's easy to get stuck along the way. Here today, as we come to a table where we see in these elements of bread and wine, body broken, blood poured out, what God's heart is for you, what his heart is for the people of the world, come back this morning, be encouraged that his love for you is sealed, proven, shown, victorious, never to be changed. And in the weeks to come, especially right now, while things in our world seem just wild, listen for his call to you. Listen for what he's calling you to be and do. And let's do that together as a community. That Jesus might be glorified. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for your son, Jesus. We thank you that you call to us. You call us to yourself first. You call us away from life under our own steam first. You call us to new life in him. And then you call us for the sake of others. And so we pray at the beginning of this year and as we begin this series, Lord, that you would affirm in each of us that call to us, to your heart, to your life, to your goodness, to your love. We are broken, but... We are loved. And then, Lord, show us how you're calling us for the sake of others. We yield our ears. We yield our hearts. We yield our eyes. And we pray you'll speak. Because you are the calling God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.